All right, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast. This is your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. The podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Wearing the 70s Oakland, 70s inspired Oakland A's hat today. I do like that hat. That It yeah. works. Pretty classy. By the way, do you see the uh, the White Sox new unis? I did not. Black, all black with white pinstripes. And they say South Side across in like black. They are, they are good. They look good. I like them. I'll check them out. However, this is not a uniform and baseball podcast. This is a movie oh. podcast. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and we have actual like big movies to talk about this week. Whoa, it's amazing. And big stories, too, actually. And that's where you get to. What we're, we got big stuff on, on today's show. Amazon is buying MGM. J.J. Abrams regrets not having a plan for Star Wars. And we'll be talking A Quiet Place and Cruella. So it should be a fun show for you. All right. You ready to get started, Rob? Awesome. So our first story is a big one. It is a big shakeup in the movie industry. Amazon buys MGM Studios for $8.45 billion. So Amazon now owns a major movie studio and, of course, all of its collection, including, most notably, the James Bond series. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Sort of is the right word for that. Sort of. <laughs> they do own it, but that doesn't mean they have exclusive control over it. Yeah. Gotta love the world of movies and the back deals that have happen on this stuff. But this is a big deal. Um, Amazon noted that it would attempt to preserve MDM's heritage and catalog of films. So... It's interesting because they actually have been looking for a MGM has been looking for a buyer since uh, late last year, and Apple reportedly turned it down for six billion. Um, now, if you're MGM and their stockholders getting eight point four five when you were originally offering it six is is not a bad deal. Uh, so the question, the question remains, why would Amazon buy MGM Studios? What is the advantage for Amazon and what do you think about it going forward? Well, I think, first of all, it's pretty incredible, those numbers that you said that Apple had a chance to get it at six and then take it. And then Amazon ended up paying like over a third more. Yeah. That's a really significant amount of money. Yeah, it is. Um, Kind of have to wonder, like, what exactly pushed Amazon to up the price that much, or if they knew that Apple had been offered it for that, or what the whole deal was. But um, there is some really fascinating stuff here that MGM is bringing over a catalog of over 4,000 movies and over 17,000 hours of television. Some of the movies, uh, just highlights like Science of the Lambs and Rocky series. It's a pretty significant thing. So one thing I, I found pretty unique about these studios acquiring these big um, 
movie houses, or in the case of Warner doing their own thing with HBO Max and Disney doing their own thing with Disney Plus, is I think that we might be moving towards a model of we've said before that one of the frustrations with streaming stuff is you don't know where stuff's going to be. And I, I feel like with movies, we might be moving towards a model where you pretty consistently will know where stuff is going to be because all the MGM movies will be with Amazon now. Yeah. All the Disney movies are with Disney. All the uh, Warner movies are with HBO Max. So I think you're moving away from that to a more settled model, which is an interesting new twist on things when it comes to the streaming world. Yeah, I think a fascinating thing about this, and we've, we've talked about this really since the start of the podcast, is the kind of coalescence between streaming and theater, between the streaming services and the, the movie studios. And now with Amazon literally owning one of the movie studios, I think that direct connection is, is coming even further. And we've seen, um, we've seen that this could be an opportunity. I think my critique of the streaming services producing their own movies has been quality. I don't think they've been able to produce ones that have had the same level of quality. Now Amazon owns a movie studio. So the ability to be able to put out high quality films and even include that under the Amazon label, I think will give them a real draw. Now, Amazon, of course, has the unique streaming service in that it's just available for Prime members. So the Amazon Prime includes significantly more than just their streaming service. Uh, so one of the things the article that talked about was the desire just to keep people on their platform. And the, the more and better content you have, the more likely people will stay on your platform. I think Amazon has done a really solid job at developing uh Obviously, it's not television show content because it's not a TV network, but that kind of content with things like The Boys, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel, a whole bunch of other things that have brought people around to watch them. Because in my opinion, those things have been really high quality for the kind of content that they are. So, yeah, definitely add to things if they were able to produce movies that lived up to that kind of standard and having a whole movie studio under them might allow that to happen when you wonder branding wise, like, will they, will they just keep MGM as the name uh, when they produce stuff will be MGM with Amazon or will they come up with a new name? Yeah. So those, those kind of things will be interesting to see as we move forward. Yeah. And the, the little bit of a hang up with the bond thing is that um, they are, they're sharing parts of the Bond franchise with Eon Productions. And Eon Productions actually controls how the Bond movies are distributed. So it's not like just because they bought the movie studio that owns Bond, that doesn't mean all the Bonds just show up on Amazon Prime. There's going to there's gonna have to be a negotiation about the, how that works. Uh, but the other interesting thing is along with MGM, they get Epics, the cable movie show or the cable movie channel. Now, Amazon obviously couldn't care very much about cable because they are, you know, part of the apparatus that's destroying cable. Um, but it does give them access to some Paramount movies. It gives them access to uh, another library and to cable customers. So that's, I mean, it's not nothing. It's probably not the reason they purchased it by any means, but it's something else. 
Yeah, the so the background a lot some of the background to the Bond thing as well is that if you've ever watched a James Bond movie, you will notice that um the last name Broccoli appears in the credits towards the beginning in every movie because that family has like controlling interest over how the movies are disseminated, where they go, um, how they can be seen. And currently the person in the family who is kind of overall that is Barbara Broccoli, which definitely does not sound like a made up name. uh, (laughs) They they have been pretty uh, strict and pretty set in their ways about what will happen with James Bond going forward with all the streaming stuff happening. So don't expect there to be like an Amazon Prime debut of a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. Just because Amazon now controls the studio that might produce them, there are a whole bunch of other factors involved when it comes to the Bond franchise. And there are some movies that just need to be a theater release. And Bond is certainly one of those movies. And I can't wait to see it. But it will be fascinating to see how MGM develops from this point forward now that they're controlled by Amazon. Um, I like the quote in the article. It just talks about the only question really is whether Jeff Bezos ends up as a bad guy at some movie yeah. at some point. <laughs> as if he is not already. I know, right? <laughs> Whole Foods oh. exclusively on the sets of uh, MGM movies going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got anything else on this one before we move on? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, so the, our second story for the day J.J. Uh, Abrams recently gave an interview uh, for a an event highlighting the 10 year anniversary of the highly underrated Super 8 movie, which maybe we should get into that at some point in this discussion, because that's a great movie. Uh, but he started he was asked questions about the Star Wars franchise, which he directed the first and third of the uh, sequel trilogy. And obviously they were very divisive amongst fans and amongst critics as to how that process went. Uh, Part of the interview uh, delves into the idea of whether or not they had a plan for these movies. And it sounds like their their plan was kind of to not have a plan. Their plan was to let J.J. kick off the series. He was only ever supposed to direct the first one and then do what they're calling a handoff to Ryan Johnson and then a handoff to Colin Trevorrow, who was supposed to direct the third one. And to say that ended up getting a little bit messy was an understatement. (laughs) They uh, it became a problem when when the second director, Ryan Johnson, ended up going in a completely different direction Uh, It was divisive amongst fans. Then Colin Trevorrow backed out of the third one, which led J.J. Abrams back in, which caused him to go back to some of the stuff he originally wanted to pick up that Ryan Johnson dropped. And it gave the projects a really jerky type feel. So what they asked him about was they asked him about what is the role of having a plan? And he he kind of gave an answer that was, hey, sometimes plans are good, sometimes plans are bad. (laughs) And maybe we should have had more of a plan. Um, So we can get into some of his specific quotes, but what do you make of of Abrams' comments as it relates to the Star Wars franchise? Uh, I think in the case of the Star Wars uh, 
trilogy that he was involved with in particular that not having a plan definitely hurt things. Yeah. Because say what you will about the prequel trilogy with George Lucas involved um, or the original trilogy with George Lucas involved. Regardless of how you feel about those things, they seemed like, like coherent stories to me that even if they weren't the best movies, there was an obvious place they were going and the movies flowed through each other and it made sense altogether at the end. And you definitely did not get that feeling with the last three movies. And that's a frustrating thing because that's what we've come to expect from Star Wars. That you, if you've got these three movies, they're going to tell you a story that you can, you know, piece together and pull some things out of. And I didn't, I didn't feel like that was the case with those. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's weird to me that this was the direction that they, they wanted to go with that because it was always going to be a trilogy. It was always going to be a trilogy. That's just the way Star Wars was set up. That's the way they, they build it. So, you know, you've got three movies. It's different where you have a franchise, like I'll just throw off like Fast and the Furious, where you never really knew exactly when they were done. So it's okay if the storyline bobs and weaves a little bit because there was never there was never a this is going to be a six movie arc and we're done. With Star Wars, you knew it was going to be three movies. So the idea that you would not have a at least a strong thread that you knew was going to stay consistent throughout all three movies is is a little bit mind boggling to me that that's the direction they went. So Abrams, I'll just get into a, a couple of the Abrams quotes. He said, I've been involved in a number of projects that have been in most cases series that have ideas that begin the thing where you feel like you know where it's going to go. And sometimes it's an actor who comes in. Other times it's a relationship that as written doesn't quite work. And the things you think are going to just be so well received crash and burn. And other things you think are like, oh, that's a small moment or that's a one episode character. And suddenly it becomes a huge part of the story. So part of what he's trying to say is a plan will only get you so far. And he the article references, of course, Abrams lost, but also Breaking Bad and how obviously that was one of the best TV series of all time. And they were originally going to kill off the Jesse Pinkman character at the end of season one. And then once they realized how good the on-screen chemistry was, they kept it around. So there is a sense in which you can only plan so much, but I think you have to have, you have to have something going forward. Don't you? Yeah. The thing that stuck out to me most out of his quotes was that if you don't have a plan, you don't know what to emphasize. Uh, that's the thing that really stood out to me is that yeah. I, I feel like that was the major weakness and confusion with the Star Wars trilogy is that it seemed like Abrams and Johnson emphasized different things. <laughs> yeah. Like there was one that was going one direction and then um, Ryan Johnson came in and emphasized things that might not have been such a big deal and didn't emphasize things that were going to be a big deal in the way that Abrams saw the, the series going forward. And because of that, it led to confusion. Yeah. Now, if only there was another Disney property that 
knew a thing or two about you know plans for <laughs> movies over a longer period of time like if only there was like a team of people working for <laughs> disney that that knew how to do uh you know like a series of movies i like a long series of movies long with, i i mean i if only they had that level of expertise and i movie. would i would marvel at such a such a group of people wow oh man that was just <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah so that's it is fascinating especially in contrast to marvel that did such an unbelievable job with 20 some movies over an entire decade of creating a cohesive feel and they couldn't do it at another disney property star wars when they knew exactly where they were going with the I think the one, the one thing that benefits you when you are a Marvel or a Harry Potter, for instance, or some other series, is if you have source material, not that you're necessarily going to go exactly from the source material, but you have kind of a grounding. Yeah. When it comes to Star Wars, especially the new ones, they, they were making up their own story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're making up your own story, it's a whole lot easier to get lost in the story that you're creating, I think. yeah to me and that just makes it all the more reason why why would you not attempt to have like i said at least like a thread of here's where we here's where we want to end up yeah now i mean like you you mentioned the prequels the prequels had the idea and had the emphasis of we know we have to end at darth vader We know we have to end with the creation of darth vader so that helps color your entire direction the fact that they did not necessarily have a plan for where they wanted to end up is is a little bit baffling, especially with directors as accomplished as Abrams and Ryan Johnson and uh, a studio as accomplished as Disney. It's it's kind of surprising to me, and I think I think that that showed over over the course of the of the three movies. So, uh, let's talk about Super 8 for a minute. Have, what was the last time you saw it? You, you, I'm assuming you have seen it at some point? I have point? only seen it once. And okay. It was a while ago, so I yeah. don't know a lot about it, to be honest. Well, what were your initial impressions of, of Super 8? Now, if, you, if you're not familiar with this movie, this was a J.J. Abrams solo project uh, that was revolved around... Uh, kids in the 1980s trying to make a home movie while a kind of alien invasion slash conspiracy theory is going on in their hometown. It was very Goonies. It was kind of something that kicked off the genre of of classic 80s stuff that kind of led to Stranger Things too. Yeah, but my recollection has struck me as being unique and being uh, like grounded in the reality of emotion when it comes to how kids deal with things, which is, I think a callback maybe to some of the movies, kids movies that came out in the nineties, eighties and nineties that we don't have a whole lot of right now. Yeah. So it did, it did seem like it was kind of an homage to that like realistic look at how kids operate when they're faced with a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. I think it was a fantastic nostalgia piece. It was really well done. It, it hit on it hit on '80s culture. It hit on the '80s kind of uh, vibe really, really well. 
but the character development and the emotional content that the movie was able to generate was really, really good. I mean, these kids were, did a fantastic job of acting and, and the bond and the connection and the emotional elements besides it was a really, really well-crafted story. And it, I, it, it was really underrated, you know, it had a lot of impact and has a lasting, a lot of lasting legacy pieces to it, but people don't necessarily know that that's where they came from. And I think this is one of JJ Abrams best works that he's ever done. And he's, he's got a pretty accomplished career, but not enough people know about that one. I agree. It's definitely under the radar compared to some of his other work. Yeah. So in light of, in light of the kind of star Wars, um, J.J. Abrams comments, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun talking about what should they have done? What should Star Wars have done with the last three movies? And how much, how much uh, of this should you plan out and how much should you not? So what, what do you think in, in your esteemed movie knowledge? What should Star Wars have done with the, the sequel trilogy? I think basically we've already both hit on the main thing is that they should have had a plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the most obvious thing. Um, if I, if I had been in charge of things, I think I would have picked out one of the, one of the main strengths of the other trilogies was that it seemed like they picked out three or four characters that were like the center that revolved around and kind of told their stories as they went along. And I feel like, the new trilogy could have done a better job at that. There were aspects of that with like Kylo and Ray, um, Finn at some points, Snoke at some points, but it seemed like it more ebbed and flowed throughout the movies based on the direction that the person in charge was going. So I think they could have done a better job at saying right from the beginning, we're going to focus on what Snoke does. We're going to focus on what Kylo does. We're going to focus on what Ray does. That's going to be the driving force of these three movies and everything will tie back into that. And I don't think they did a very good job of that. And I think that um, throwing the emperor into things in the last movie, what I think it was kind of like a, an attempt to throw a life preserver to the, to the trilogy and say like, Oh, it was all this all along when really what they should have been doing was focusing on the people who were involved and not, like come up with some kind of uh, Deus Ex Machina, I guess, mm -hmm. salvation to the trilogy by having the Emperor be behind everything. Yeah. I, th I think for me, they relied, they relied too much on standard Star Wars tropes. So in the aftermath of the emperor being destroyed and the empire being defeated, you basically just create a new empire in the first order, a new death star. You have um, Snoke as the new emperor. Uh, they basically just took the same kind of elements that star Wars had gone back to and just went right back to the narrative. So what I would have loved to have seen is something involving the sheer universal chaos that usually emerges when that kind of superpower entity is destroyed. Uh, 
ordinarily you would get large amount of factions vying for power. And so you would get, I thought it would, would have been fascinating to go in the direction of the universe is now in chaos. You have a bunch of warring factions uh, vying for vying for power, vying for control of this. And then you've got, you've got your, your old school Jedi and your new school people trying to decide how do we sort this out? You know, how is this, how is this going to play out? What are, what do we do now? I thought that would have been a direction that they could have gone. that would have created some new unique things. And they, they just relied a little bit too much on nostalgia. What's kind of funny is the pretty much everything you just said is uh, what happened in rogue one. Yeah. <laughs> and probably why rogue one is considered the best of the new star Wars movies, because they okay. actually did go into some of those areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they missed out on the opportunity to create something new. And I think that's the one thing that Rogue One really had was it was a completely new, unique story and you were able to craft it and do what you want with it. When you're trying, when you've got one foot in the nostalgia camp and one foot in the new camp, it really just bogs you down. And it forces you to go in storylines that, that are difficult. I mean, and if you're not true, if your story is taking you in a direction that's not necessarily true to the character, which everyone knows and loves, then you run into, you run into trouble. So. Yeah. I, I remember a lot of people complaining when the, when the first of the new movies came out, that it was just kind of a repeat of a new hope. Yeah. Like I, I think there were some, things that were unique about it but i do think that overall tone wise it was very very similar yeah and definitely um some worthwhile criticism there yeah i mean at some point you would think even even the the dumb first order or the what's left of the empire would realize hey maybe let's not put all of our hope in a giant circular spaceship (laughs) Maybe we have another idea rolling around in the back. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Ah, it is what it is. However, they, I mean, that being said, they, they're not terrible movies. They're not terrible movies. It's just um, expectations of the Star Wars movies are always crazy. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there is, is there ever going to be another one that really everyone just like yes it's amazing so we'll see well, the the original trilogy was just like groundbreaking and people were not prepared for it and i think ever since it's just been mm-hmm. that's been the expectation that you're going to have that same result and same effect on the culture every time and it's probably not a fair expectation to have on a movie series yeah and, and no matter what the movie series is you struggle I think at times with keeping things fresh, I know that you and I were both very frustrated by Spectre. And I think the main reason was because for me, it felt like, and, and you said this kind of about the Star Wars series, that it felt like a paint by number James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> like everything that happened before it happened, you're like, well, that's going to happen next. And then it happened. That's going to happen next. And then it happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be easy to fall into those ruts when you're, um, when you're making movies about the same material. 
Yeah. And it didn't take into account the things that work so well, like for the Bond series with Skyfall and with Casino Royale. It didn't take the things that worked really, really well for those movies and apply them going forward. It just kind of went back to the old model. Yeah. And there's there's something to be said in the Star Wars films of of kind of letting the old characters go. They could have they could have just essentially moved on to a later time period and and created a whole new story. But I get why you'd want to bring some of them back. I mean, a lot of them are older actors and obviously um, Leia died partway through the filming of those. So that's, you know, it was, it, there is a sense in which if you were going to include them, it was kind of a now or never yeah. <laughs> at that point. So I get, I get why they wanted to go in that direction. All right. Let's wrap that up. I think that was a, that was a good discussion of star Wars, you know, now that we fixed them and now that we've given them all the ideas for their next movies, we can move on. I think we've done enough work on that front. It's a good thing that they listen to and watch our podcast. I know. Yeah. So let's move on to the watch list. These are movies that we've watched over the past week, which we will give you a brief description of what we thought about them. So Rob, why don't you go first? Uh, The first movie I watched was Resident Evil Apocalypse, which is the second of apparently a whole lot of Resident Evil movies. I can never keep them straight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I never know. which. I said to my wife, this is the second one. Really? (laughs) Apocalypse is the second one. (laughs) (laughs) That does illustrate what that series is all about. Go from Resident Evil to Apocalypse, but it's only the second one. Yeah. Very interesting. Um. But it, it follows directly off of where the first one ends, which if you have not seen, the two main characters get separated from each other and one of them gets put into a special program. They're um, going to hopefully train and develop this person using uh, chemicals and things he'd been bitten, but in a way that he would be able to be a weapon and is then used that way in the second movie. And uh, Apocalypse, because they're threatening to um, drop nuclear bombs on the entire city and just destroy everyone. So that was pretty fun. And then I watched, <clears throat> I actually watched for the first time two movies I had never watched. The only thing I knew about them was that people really don't like them. So that was an interesting hmm. experience going into the movies. And the two movies I'm referring to are Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh, yes. Okay. And, uh, First of all, very interesting to see Captain America being a snarky, jerky, like early 20s punk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could not be any different, any more different than the character <laughs> he plays as Captain America, uh, Chris Evans. Uh, my wife made a really good observation about his character in these movies when she said, I think he drew on his attitude from these movies for his character in Knives Out. <laughs> and i can see that like a more matured like sarcastic version of his character johnny storm uh being the person who is who he's playing in knives out i can see that um i actually didn't hate these movies as much as i was led to believe i should hate them yeah Uh, i don't think they were great but i don't think they were like the worst thing i've ever seen either so 
on the app I use, which rates movies out of five, uh, the, the consensus rating for Rise of the Silver Surfer was 2.1 out of five. And it seems to be pretty standard across the board if you look at different other websites, rating methods, that it's not rated very high. I did. I thought there were some issues with it. Um, not sure how all the mechanics worked with like the transfer of powers between people and um, how that all fed into the last few scenes. Uh, but I thought the character of the Silver Surfer was pretty fascinating, and I I like uh, Doug Jones and almost anything he's in. And he was the he was the person who played the Silver Surfer. He also played Abe Sapien and Hellboy. Um, played the monster Pan's Labyrinth. You ever seen that movie that puts his hands over his eyes and has eyes on his hands? Uh, he's played a whole bunch of like different monster type things. It, it's very interesting that he played the character, but Lawrence Fishburne was the voice. So I was like, hmm, Morpheus coming to destroy the world. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like the storyline of the movie that there's this just giant entity that's out of control that's going around the whole universe just devouring whatever it wants and that the silver surfer is uh you know his forerunner and he followed the entity is following the board to wherever he goes because so he basically marks a place as this is a place you should take care of and then he comes and takes care of it uh i don't know maybe i should have not liked it more i don't know but i i i the Fantastic Four powers in general, I find pretty interesting. And so it was, it was cool to see now. So my next, uh, my next job is to watch the newer one, which I believe came out in 2015 yeah. and see, see what I think about that one as well. I, I remember not hating them also as much as everybody else did. Uh, however, I remember not really liking the newest one. I feel like that one really suffered from some on-screen chemistry. And I think I've never been a huge fan of Michael B. Jordan, even though I know he's considered a very good actor. Um, I think some of it stems from Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the newer, he was in the newer one. Uh, but for whatever reason, they haven't seemed that that franchise just hasn't seemed to be able to take off in the box office like so many of the other ones have. I don't have a good explanation as to why. I don't know if it's just the, 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 the movies or if people don't resonate with the characters. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I, I think that they, they not being a part of like the overall Marvel plan uh, was also something that held it back a little bit because they were their own thing. Yeah. So it, it wasn't tied directly into everything else that was going on. Yeah. So those were the three that I watched this week. How about you? Uh, so the first one I watched was Snatch, uh, the 2000 film by Guy Ritchie. It is one of the classic Guy Ritchie films, which had, features the big ensemble cast, the crazy plot lines, the, the witty banter and dialogue. And Snatch is really is a fantastic movie. It took uh, what he did in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and kind of amp amplified it and done with a little bit more uh, quality and a little bit more uh, wisdom, I guess. And 
there are just some really memorable characters in, in this one. Uh, from the uh, the the low the low life bank robbing crooks who who are just constantly getting themselves into terrible situations uh, to Brad Pitt's role as a gypsy in which he talks in such a crazy accent that you cannot understand a word that he says <laughs> throughout the entire movie. Uh, the noble idiots you've got, uh, it's got, it's got everything. It's got so many great characters and there's one scene, which is for me is just a legendary movie scene in which uh, Guy Ritchie takes it and, and this scene flows. It's like cars, one car, they're, they're driving in cars. One car does something which leads to another action happening, which leads to a, something happening to another car. But Guy Ritchie takes the direction and he tells that particular scene out of order. So you see, you see effect before cause and it creates just a hysterical moment. It's really, really funny and it's really, really well done. So I think that uh, Snatch is, is certainly worth it and, and is, a, is a, probably one of the top movies for Guy Ritchie. Uh, the second one I watched was The Martian from 2015. It's a classic movie. It's one of my favorites. I really, really enjoy this story. Uh, I think this is, this is one of the better uh, novel adaptions. Uh, Andy Weir wrote the novel The Martian, and they did a great job of capturing his character and the essence of his story. Uh, the, the book is actually significantly more technical as part of Andy Weir's writing was just simply to work out all the math, all the physics, all the geometry, every, all of that stuff he talks through, like how you would calculate how to do everything. And they brought elements of that to uh, Matt Damon's character while being able to tell, tell a good story for it. I think the, the, the world they created on Mars was great. Uh, just the feel of the film and the way the characters developed and how all of them acted, they were all believable. Everything that was happening was, was 100% believable, and it just created a great story. So the last one I'll go, I'll switch it up, because I actually watched four. So I was going to do Blade Runner, but we've, we've talked about Blade Runner a number of times. So I'm going to go, the last one I watched last night was uh, Fool's Gold, the 2008 mm. film starring Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson. This is a lost treasure love story type movie uh, taking place between uh, the Florida Keys and the Bahamas. So you've got you've got some diving, you've got some, you know, like beach boat uh, treasure hunting. It's very, very similar in turn in to um, another film uh, called Into the Blue, which was with Jessica Alba from a number of years ago and um, I'm blanking on his name from fast and furious. Um, yeah. <laughs> the main character from fast, and the furious who is now dead. Uh, whatever his name was. Hey, he was, he started in that one too. And that one was another treasure hunt uh, lost adventure. I think uh, into the blue is actually probably better done than fool's gold. Uh, Full Skull did have a number of, of interesting elements to it. 
the treasure hunt itself was kind of fun, but uh, the characters I thought were a little stereotypical, but there are, there's some, there's some nice visuals to it. And it's, it's not by any means a great movie, but it's uh, if you, if you're interested in just putting something on that has some cool visuals and you can just uh, relax and get away, it's, it's, it's not bad. All right. So there isn't one element that we did not cover that I missed in the outline because that's the way I do things. <laughs> we didn't talk about the movies coming out in theaters. So let's hit briefly. Let's hit briefly on the two movies coming out this week. Quiet Place Part Two, which we've been previewing for a couple of weeks now and Cruella. So, Rob, give me give me your initial assessments. What do you think? What do you think is going to be up with both of those movies? Well, Quiet Place Part Two, I think, is being has been looked forward to by many people, uh, myself being one of them. So, I'm just excited to see it, and hopefully, we'll have a chance to see it in the theater. Um, Cruella, I think, is an interesting uh, new take on things by Disney, and we'll see uh, how that goes because some of their new takes on things have been well received, and some have been pretty universally panned. So. It's hard to say which way it will go. Yeah, I think Cruella, I think it's, to me, Quiet Place Part 2 seems like it's going to be fantastic and that it's really going to deliver. It's It's been getting some solid reviews from the early reviews coming out and I've been very much looking forward to this for a while. Cruella, I think the word for me is interesting. I don't know whether I think it's going to be good or not. It seems to me like one that either it's going to be quite good or it's going to be a train wreck. <laughs> I think just the crazy nature of the characters, when you watch the trailers, like they're going all out on this. Emma Stone goes all out as Cruella. And it is, I mean, it is gaudy in its acting and its performance. And if that's done well, it can be really memorable. If it's not done well, you're like, oh, that was that was oof, overdone. That was overcooked. So I think I don't know if there's going to be a lot of a medium in between this. But the new take is interesting. I think there's I, this is not a story that I particularly love. So I don't know how eager I am to go see it but it's different enough that it might be worth going to so that's my take on it so those two come out in theaters they should be out right now so check them out at your local theaters all right rob close off with a recommendation any film you want what do you want to recommend uh, i've got a couple that i think are both on disney plus and i just kind of picked because they're random uh movies about crazy families that i like okay. Uh, the first one is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, classic. Scene you should watch Rick Moranis as the dad of the family who is developing a machine to make things small and accidentally his kids turn small. <laughs> and then what do you do when the whole world, uh, there, an ant is the size of a buffalo and a <laughs> <laughs> uh, lawnmower can kill you. It's, uh, it's a whole different universe. And the set design that they did for this movie was really clever. And I think uh, up there, all time for, for me in, in the set design. 
Uh, and then the other one is an animated movie on Disney, and uh, it's called Meet the Robinsons, hmm. which is an underrated, I would say probably overlooked movie, which is somewhat telling the story of Walt Disney if you're looking at it as like from a broad perspective of what his dreams and goals and visions were and tells the story of Lewis, who is a little boy who wants to be an inventor and grows up and discovers a new family and a whole bunch of crazy things about that family and has a lot of funny characters and just it's well-written and well-animated. So meet the Robinsons, I would recommend. Okay. Okay. Uh, So for me, I'm going to recommend the John Wick trilogy. The John Wick trilogy. If you're, if you're in the mood for just, some hardcore action and just straight up shooting people, blood, guts, gore, and surprisingly really, really well shot scenes. Uh, This is a really well-directed movie. The visuals are fantastic. The lighting in particular is really, really good. And Keanu Reeves, these are his best performances since he did The Matrix. That is, it's undoubtedly. Uh, he's he's really really good in the roles, and this is just the best you want from an action action thing. And the cool thing about him is all three of them tell one long continuous story. The second movie picks up right at the end of the first movie. The third movie picks up right at the end of the second one, and it just tells one giant long story. So um, I've been in the mood to rewatch him again. So John Wick trilogy, go for that. I would say the third one has my favorite fight in a library featuring a seven foot plus tall NBA center (laughs) in in movie history. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) And there are actually, there have actually been a number of fight scenes involving NBA centers. Yes. Uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in some Kung Fu (laughs) flicks. So that is a thing. (laughs) All right. Well, that is all the show we have for you today. Thank you for tuning into the Film for Fans podcast. Remember to rate and subscribe. And don't just listen to us tell you that. Actually rate and subscribe. That'd be great. Uh, Send us comments and like us and share us with your friends. We'd love to have you. All right. Until next time, enjoy the movies.